Okay, let's take a look here in Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 through 10, and we find something very interesting here. Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall the Spirit reap life everlasting. Now let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Let's take a good close look at some of these scriptures and see what they really are saying here. It sure enough don't sound like what we thought at first said, now do we? You know I'm so glad I'm saved. Now let's take a look at these, like I said, real close. Let's look at this. Galatians 6, 6 through 10. Let's see what it really has to say. Is this saying that we got to cough up lots of money? Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teaches in all good things. Him that is already taught, let him teach others so they can teach others so they can teach others. Let's talk about teachers. And it's saying... You should know what you believe and why you believe it. And you should be able to communicate that. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. What is it talking about here? What a man sows, that shall he also reap. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. You, you can't make a fool out of God. If you live in sin, you're going to get sin. But is this talking about money? As many people have taken it to believe. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall the Spirit reap life everlasting. I don't think I heard money there. I don't think I heard money there. He that soweth to the flesh. Where's money? Nowhere. Shall reap corruption. He that soweth to the Spirit. Where's that got to do with money? Nothing shall reap life everlasting. What's that got to do with money? Nothing. It's only because some dirty, rotten rascal twisted that verse and said, well, that means money. Oh, no, it don't. It just happens to mean what you sow, you're going to reap. If you live in sin, <laughs> you're going to end up with a sinful life. As Jesus said, a tree you cannot have Good fruit fall from a bad tree. That's what it's trying to say there. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Let's not be weary in well-doing. It has nothing to do with money. Sure, For we shall reap, meaning get a harvest of what? Souls. If we don't faint, if we don't quit, if we don't give up. Talking about something totally different than money here. As we have therefore opportunity... Let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. We are to do good to all men, but especially to those who are the household of faith, those who are saved. Do good to them. What? Give them lots of money? No. Ain't got nothing to do with it. What was Paul talking about here? What was he saying to the Galatian believers? Well, I think we're going to find out the answer when he writes something very similar to the Corinthian believers. Let's find out, okay? Let's see if what we're reading here, 
We're going to get the full story. And why is he writing this? What is he talking about helping the household of faith? What is he talking about? Let's find out. Now we find this text that I'm talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. Concerning the collection for the saints, I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. And when I come, whomsoever ye shall approve by your letters, them will I send to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. And if it be meet that I go also, they shall go with me. Paul is saying something very unique here. And I want you to get this. Is Paul talking about an offering for the preacher? Is he talking about, hey, I'm coming to your church and I'm going to preach and I want a big old offering? Is he talking about, hey, you got to give your 10%. I am sick and tired of you folks, you Corinthian believers over there. You ain't been giving your 10%. So I'm coming over there. I'm going to make sure you start tithing. Is that what he's preaching on? Now concerning the collection for the saints. Concerning the collection for the preacher. No, it didn't say that. Collection of the tithe. No, it didn't say that. It said concerning the collection for the saints. Saints. It's not for him and it's not for anybody else. It's for the saints. They have given order to the churches of Galatia. Even so do ye. Remember, we just read in Galatians. And here we find the same thing. He gave order at Galatia. What did he give the order? What was it? Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store. He's saying, here's the order. On the first day of the week, every day that you guys have church, I want you to put up your offering. Put it to the side. Put it together. Get it ready. And what is this offering for? And what are you supposed to do? As God has prospered him, there's some key words right there. As God has prospered him, the individual, as God has given you the blessing, as God has increased your income, as God has prospered, not according to what you're making now, it's according to what God has given you over and above what you need. Not over and above what you want. Over and above what you need. He says, I want you to lay up in store. That there be no gatherings when I come. He doesn't want an offering taken up at the time that he shows up. He wants it already ready. Get it together, boys. Get on the stick. And what is this for? And when I come, whomsoever ye shall approve by your letters. He says, I'm not taking this. I'm not here, I'm not coming to get the offering myself. Whoever you shall approve by your letters, who you appoint, the men that you appoint, the ones that you believe are the best ones to take this offering, them will I send to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. Them will I take and send with your gift to take it over to my house or put it in my bank account, right? <laughs> that ain't what Paul said. Paul said, Paul said, he said to the Corinthians, look, you appoint some men, and we're going to take and hand them the gift that you guys have put together, load it on a wagon, 
whatever it takes, and we're going to send them bad boys to Jerusalem. Remember what it said in the first verse? For the saints. What it was, there were poor saints in Jerusalem who were suffering persecution and were suffering under the hands of the Romans. And Paul's church in Corinth that he had founded and started, he said, boys, it's time to help your poor brothers and sisters. It's time for you to dig into your pockets and help somebody else. Not me. Not because I'm a preacher. Not because we're going to have another preacher come through. It's not because Timothy's coming over. No, it's because you are to take your gift and get two men together or so from your company, some of your own church membership, and we're going to send them to this person and these people in Jerusalem who need the help. If it be meet that I go also, they shall go with me. And he said, now look, if you more or less, if you don't trust them, just in case you want to be sure that they're not going to snatch it along the wayside, I will be willing to go with them. But it's not because this gift is for me. It's because it's going to the poor saints. And I want to ensure the poor saints in Jerusalem receive this gift. Whew. God help us. So where, Mr. Tither, was tithing in that? Not one worth of tithing. It's talking about a cheerful, it's talking about a gift, a cheerful gift that was supposed to be given because there was somebody else in need. Well, what happened with this command? Well, as they say, meanwhile, back at the ranch, let's take a look one year later. Let us find out what happened a year down the road in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 through 15. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 1 to 15, and we find these words. For as touching the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you. For I know the forwardness of your mind, for which I boast of you to them of Macedonia, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal hath provided very many. Yet have I sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this behalf, that as I said, ye may be ready. Lest haply, if they of Macedonia come with me, and find you unprepared, we that we say not ye, should be ashamed in this same confident boasting. Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they would go before unto you and make up beforehand your bounty, whereof ye had noticed before that the same might be ready, as a matter of bounty and not as of covetousness. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he purposed in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly, or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. As it is written, He hath dispersed abroad, He hath given to the poor, His righteousness remaineth forever. Now, he that ministered seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food, and multiply your seed sown, and increase the fruit of your righteousness. Being rich in everything to all bountifulness, which causes through us thanksgiving to God. For the ministration of this service not only supplieth the want of the same, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God. 
while by the experiment of this ministration they glorify God for your professed subjection unto the gospel of Christ and for your liberal distribution unto them and unto all men. And by their prayer for you, which long after you, for the exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be unto God for this unspeakable gift. We find here something unique. One year later, Paul is still preaching on tithing. Harping on that money. No, he ain't. Not one word did we hear about tithing. What he's harping on is, <laughs> one year later, boys, and you ain't even got things together yet. Either A, you got lots of stuff you're getting ready to send to those poor saints, or B, you're just being lazy. But listen to what he has to say. Let's look through this real quick. For as touching the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you. He says, as touching the saints, look, I have to write to you about the saints, the poor saints in Jerusalem. There's a reason. <laughs> it's urgent. For I know the forwardness of your mind, for which I boast of you to them of Macedonia, that Achaia was ready a year ago. <laughs> he says, look, I've been bragging on you, boys. Now remember, hey, look, I've been boasting on you for a whole year. Hey, the guys over in Achaia, th their church, they've already been year ready a year ago. One year ago that was ready. And you guys ain't even uh, on the stick yet. And your zeal hath provided very many. Yet have I sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this behalf. Uh, yeah, we've been bragging on you. Now I'm sending some uh, guys over there to get you on the stick because we don't want people to think that we're lying. Hey, we want them to see that we were really, because we knew that you guys would help. We knew that you would help the poor saints in Jerusalem. And so I'm just sending the fellows over there to help you out. Just give you an extra helping hand. But as I said, you may be ready. Lest haply, if they of Macedonia come with me and find you unprepared, we, that we say not ye, should be ashamed in this same confident boasting. He was so confident in his boasting that they would help. That he was saying, look. I'm sending some guys ahead just to make sure that if you aren't ready, that you'll be ready so that when we show up, they're going to see that our boasting, our bragging on you, isn't going to make us or you look bad. That's what Paul was saying here. I brag so much on you, I just want to make sure that you guys are on the stick so that you guys look good. And that we look good because we bragged on you. Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they would go before unto you and make up beforehand your bounty, whereof ye had noticed before that the same might be ready, as a matter of bounty and not as of covetousness. More or less, look, instead of you all hoarding your gift, look, we're just making sure you got it ready. Isn't it funny that the people in the church who complain about the people who have nothing are the ones who have the most? The ones who complain about a guy's wrinkled suit is the one that's probably got 18 extra suits in his closet and is able to take them to the dry cleaner. Isn't that awful funny? Isn't it funny that the one that's complaining about someone who stinks in the church is the one that's got so much perfume that it'll knock you over when you walk past him? Fifteen pews away. That's what's so sad in the church. But Paul is saying, look, I want you guys to be ready so that you guys don't have to look foolish, that you'll be ready so that when we get there, 
we know that you're going to help. And all we want to do is make sure you're ready so that nobody has to look like they were crazy. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Notice, now the very same verse that was used in Galatians that was talking about something totally different, talking about the flesh, this time is talking about an offering. But it wasn't the tithe either. It's not the tithe. It's talking about in the context of which we've been reading. It's talking about an offering being taken up for those who are poor in the church who are suffering in Jerusalem. Every man according as he purposed in his heart, so let him give. As every man purposes, remember the poor widow, as much as you want to give, as much as you're able to give, as much as you wish that you could give, give. Give. As much as you're able to give. Not grudgingly. Not grudgingly. Have you ever heard a tither? Now go ask him this. Go ask him this. I dare you. Is it required to give a tithe? They'll say, oh yes, it's required to tithe. Well, you're required to pay your electric bill as well. But, how many times have you regretted having to put that money toward that electric bill? That's what it means by grudgingly. It does not mean that you're too happy about it. It's that you're regretting that you did it. Grudgingly. It says, not grudgingly. Now notice, that's the first thing, and we are most people that are tithers totally go against that. Or of necessity. Whoa. Hello, Mr. Tither. Every time you tithe, and you tell people that you're required, according to the Old Testament law, to give 10%, you're giving a requirement under the threat of hellfire and damnation just about that they give a tithe or the hell's they're going to hell and you notice what jesus said here you notice what the gospel said he said here the 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 apostle said not grudgingly nor of necessity necessity is something you're required to do like an electric bill a gas bill what it has come down to is we are paying to go to church i'll say that again you are paying to go to church you're paying 10% of your income as a church bill required by the leadership of your church all in the name of Jesus. That's what he's saying here about this gift. We don't want you to give grudgingly, more or less, that you regret that you gave it later. It's got to be something that you could spare. Not of necessity, meaning that you're required to give and someone's twisting your arm and telling you you're going to hell if you don't. That you're robbing God if you don't. Not of necessity. But what is he, what kind of gift is he looking for? For God loveth a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. You should be as happy as a clam that you're giving and helping to someone who's poor. Not that you're tithing, but that you're helping to someone who's poor. Can I prove that's context? Well, keep listening. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things. God is able to make you abound, and knowing that you already have all of what you need, that's sufficiency, all that you need, that you're able to give. 
He knows that you're able to give, is what he's saying. I know you're able to give because you have sufficiency. May abound to every good work. This way you can abound to every good work. And that one work that he's talking about here is being able to help those in need, not those because they're required to give it. As it is written, he hath dispersed abroad. He hath given to the poor. His righteousness remaineth forever. He has given to the poor. He has been able to give abroad. He's been able to spread himself out because he's been able to help others. Now, he that ministered seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food and multiply your seed sown and increase the fruit of your righteousness. He's saying, now look, because you're giving to somebody else freely, not because you're required to, but because you're giving freely, we're asking God to bless your seed that you put in the field. The, the seed that you sow because you're helping others. This way you can help others more and increase the fruits of your righteousness as well. Make you even more spiritual than you are now. Being rich in everything to all bountifulness, which causes through us thanksgiving to God. For the ministration of this service not only supplieth the want of the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God, whilst by the experiment of this ministration they glorify God for your professed subjection unto the gospel of Christ and for your liberal distribution unto them and unto all men. Paul is saying, because of your gift, once again he's still emphasizing that this gift is not a tithe but this is for the poor saints. And now, because of that gift, when they receive that gift, they'll be able to pray for you because now they could concentrate not on praying for their self because they had needs, but now their needs have been met. They could pray for you. They could pray for you and knowing that you helped them and you've been a blessing to them, now they could bless you by praying for you to become stronger in your spirit. And by their prayer for you, which long after you, for the exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be unto God for this unspeakable gift. They could pray for you. And, hey, thanks God for this unspeakable, unspeakable gift. What unspeakable gift? The gift of being able to help one another instead of being so stinking greedy and selfish, thinking of oneself and how big a church we can have. No, this has nothing to do, once again, with tithing whatsoever. So far, every verse was either taken out of context or has been misconstrued by the church. Well, preacher, that's all fine and good. But you haven't hit Malachi 3.10. That verse very strongly says you should tithe. Well, let's just take a good look at Malachi chapter 3 and verse 10. But why don't we just go a little further and look at Malachi chapter 3. Verses 1 through 18. Let's look at the whole chapter. Why don't we? Let's take a good look at the whole chapter and see what that is in context to and what is God really talking about and to whom is he speaking. Behold, I will send my messenger and he shall prepare the way before me and the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. But who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appeareth? 
for he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord, as in the days of old and as in former years. So I will come near to you in judgment, and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers and against the adulterers and against false swearers and against those who oppress the hireling in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, and that turn aside the stranger from his right. And fear not me, saith the Lord of hosts, for I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob, are not consumed. Even from the days of your fathers, you are gone away from mine ordinances, and have not kept them. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But he said, Wherein shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet ye have, have robbed me. But ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offering? You are cursed with a curse. For ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, I will not open you the windows of heaven, and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. And all nations shall call you blessed, for you shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. Your words have been stout against me, saith the Lord. Yet you say, What have we spoken so much against thee? Ye have said, It is vain to serve God. And what profit is it that we have kept his ordinance, and that we have walked mournfully before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the proud happy. Yea, they that work wickedness are set up. Yea. They that tempt God are even delivered. Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. Then shall ye return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serveth God and him that serveth him not. So we find here in Malachi chapter 3 some very unique information. All of a sudden it's not a focus on tithing. In fact, we find here just the opposite. We find a reiteration of what we heard earlier in Hebrews that the Levitical priesthood and that Levitical law for the priesthood is going to change. And let's hear what it really has to say. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord, whom ye seek, shall suddenly come to his temple. We first see that Malachi opens chapter 3, not one word about tithing. Malachi chapter 3 does not, in the whole context, has nothing to do with tithing. You see, right from the beginning, he said, I want to give you a warning. It's not long in coming. But there's a messenger going to come before my face. Does that sound familiar to anybody listening? 
That's John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus Christ. And God says, he, then the Lord is going to come to his temple. He's going to come to the temple. And what's going to happen in, when the Lord comes to his temple? Even the messenger of the covenant, whom he delight in, behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. The messenger of the covenant, that's Jesus, in whom you delight in, the one you've been looking for, he's going to come. And that's what he said. He's going to come. But who may abide the day of his coming? Who's going to be ready? Are you ready? Are you prepared? That's what he's asking. And who shall stand when he appeareth? Ooh, they, they, but hey, we could make Jesus good rapture verses, you know. We could twist these out of context. Oh, we're talking about the second coming of Jesus. But that ain't what it's talking about, y'all. Let's read the context. This is talking about the first coming of Jesus. Hello, Jewish people. Are you going to be ready? That's what Malachi is asking to his Jewish brethren. Are you ready? This is not talking about the people in the church, are you ready? This is talking about the Jewish people, are you ready for his first coming? And obviously, they were not. For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi. Ooh! What did we hear just there? Oh, he's just going to make us... He's going to straighten our little acts up. He's going to tell you, you ain't been doing right. You ain't been giving all that money. Nope. He says he's going to come. And what did it say to Jesus? He's going to come with his fan in his hand. He's going to thoroughly purge his floor, gather his wheat into the garner, but cast the chaff into unquenchable fire. That's what it said. That's what John the Baptist said. Same thing that Malachi said here. He's going to come as a refiner's fire, and he's going to purify who? Who? The sons of Levi. The sons of Levi. Not the average Joe, not every single person in Jerusalem, but the sons of Levi. And purge them as gold and silver that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. That they may offer to him an offering in righteousness. An offering in righteousness. Why? Why is God so much after the priest here? Well, you'd have to do a Bible study, which of course we're already taking up. We've been here a long time at this study. And if we were to take the time to go through the first two chapters of Malachi alone, we'll find that God said to the Levitical priest, Hey boys, you ain't doing your job right. Hey boys, you're offering up those things you're not supposed to. Hey boys, let's get it straight! That's what he was talking to. The whole book of Malachi, the context, he's talking to the Levitical priest. He's not talking to the average Joe in Jerusalem. He is talking to the Levitical priest. Malachi is after the head honchos. He's after the guys that had the control. He's after the guys with the leadership in Israel. The ones that were leading spiritually the people. And he's saying, look, we're going to purify you that you'll be able to offer an offering, a good offering not as you've been doing offering up polluted and 
and, and maimed and blind and all that, but you're going to offer a pure offering. Why? Because they hadn't been. So you have to understand, if you want to understand the offerings of God, you need to go back through Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and Exodus. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And then you'll understand the offerings that the Levitical priests were supposed to give. Why? Because those offerings, it was their job to take care of God's work. That's the only thing they were allowed to do. They weren't allowed to have land. They weren't allowed to have any possessions. God took care of every one of their needs. Food, shelter, and clothing. And I'll explain that here in a second. But let's continue with what's going on in Malachi here. He's after the priest and he's saying, Jesus is going to come by, he's going to purify you so you could give a good offering. Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord. Then shall the offering of Judah. Does that sound familiar? Why, sure it does. Back in Hebrews, it said that Jesus would come from the lion of the tribe of Judah and that he would be forever a priest after the order of Melchizedek. He would be the next priest and it would come out of Judah, not Levi. And that he would be able to offer a pure offering. You see the difference here? We're talking about Jesus. This context is about Jesus and the Levitical priest and their offering. As in the days of old and as in former years. So I will come near to you in judgment. And I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers and against the adulterers and against false swearers and against those who oppress the hireling in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, and that turn aside the stranger from his right. And fear not me, saith the Lord of hosts. And he says, now look, I'm going to be coming up as a judge and I'm going to be taking care of some things that ain't been taken care of. You ain't been taking care of those who were needy, the poor, the widow, the orphan. You ain't been taking care of them. And he says, I'm going to take care of that. I'm going to judge that. They weren't doing as they were supposed to do. And God says, I'm going to come and I'm going to make some judgment on that thing. And we're going to straighten some things out here. For I am the Lord... I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob, are not consumed. Look, I don't change, God said. I haven't changed and I'm not going to change. And he said, look, you sons of Jacob, you're going to have to get your wicked heart right. Even from the days of your fathers, you are gone away from mine ordinances and have not kept them. You have gone away from my ordinances. Now, those ordinances were this. The Levite priest was supposed to take the offerings given by fire. A portion was for them. The wave offering, the trespass offering, the sin offering. Go check your Bible. Leviticus talks about it. Very clearly lays it out. It don't take a rocket scientist to understand Leviticus. Okay? As you go through, you'll find that the Levitical priest was given a job. And for that job, what God was going to take care of him by giving him a portion. And here's what the people were to do. They were supposed to bring a tenth of their increase every year to the priest. Of that tithe, that offering, a certain part was put on the altar 
and burned. And the other part was given to the Levitical priest. Given to the Levitical priest to eat. To eat. Well, can you prove that, preacher? Why, sure, I could prove that. Why don't just sit back, Grandma, hold on to your hat and listen a little further. They did not keep his ordinances. They didn't do what was right. And here's what God said. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But he said, we're in. Shall we return? God says, return. Come back to me. Repent. Do a U-turn. Will a man rob God? Yet he, you have robbed me. But you say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings? Right here, he's talking to the Levitical priest. And what he's saying is, look, the portion that should have been mine of that tithe, of those offerings, you've been robbing it from me, Levites. Hello, priests. You ain't been paying your tithe. He wasn't talking to the average Joe. He was talking to the priest. See, the priest, too, had to give a tithe of everything they got. This is not to the average Joe. He wasn't talking to the average Joe in Jerusalem. He's talking to the priest, the Levite priest. The context of all three chapters of Malachi are talking to the priest over and over again. He says, oh, ye priest. And here he's saying to the priest, you've robbed me. And they say, where did we rob you? And he says, in tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. When the priest sinned, they passed that sin on to the whole nation because if you read the book of Leviticus, their offerings would not be accepted when the priest did not do what he was supposed to do with that offering. Want proof of that? Go look back in Leviticus. If the priest didn't eat the portion that was set aside for him of the wave offering within two to three days, that offering was not accepted. Hello? Hello? Hello, church! We're not talking about you pew sitters. We're not talking about you preachers. We're not talking about the church. We're talking about Levite priests. Any of y'all in that church is a Levite priest? Raise your hand. If you are, we're talking to you. If you're not, shut your pie hole. We're not talking about you. We're talking about the priest. Levite priest of the Old Testament. And he says, you've robbed me in tithes and offerings because you ain't been doing what you're supposed to do. And thus you make the whole nation to sin because of your sin. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. Bring ye all the tithes. These were animals. These were uh, grain offerings, etc. Brought into the house of God. And he says, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, meaning God's house, that there may be meat. M-E-A-T. Now, God did not stutter when he put the word meat there. He did not say money. It's not spelled money. Okay, well, you say, well, why? Sure, that means money. Well, in the book of Genesis, you find a very unique scripture. Adam is told by God, after all the earth is created and everything is created, he, he told the Adam and Eve, and he said, Look, now, every herb of the field and every tree, every seed of the tree, every fruit of the tree, wherein is the seed of that tree that is bearing fruit, I give it for you for meat. M-E-A-T. 
The very same word is used, and the word means food. You cannot take what you call meat in Malachi 3.10, where you translate it money preachers. You cannot take that and then go back to Genesis chapter 1 and take where God said, this shall be meat for you and for them, talking about the herb of the field. You cannot change that and say that is money for you and them. Why in the world would animals need money? They don't. So this is clearly talking about food, and it's talking about food for the Levite priest. Why? Well, because the tithe was supposed to be for the Levite priest so that he could have food in God's house, meaning something to eat. Go check out Leviticus. Go check out Deuteronomy. Go check out Numbers and Exodus. You'll find that what I'm saying is fact. I am not saying something that's made up. All you got to do is read your Bible. I don't ask you to take what I say at face value. Open the KJV. Stick your nose in it. Stick your nose to the grindy stone and read your Bible and you'll find that the fact is that it's a big fat lie that we're told that we're supposed to give 10% in the church because Jesus said so. Jesus never said so. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing but there shall not be room enough to receive it. You take and you do what God said. You'll be able to take and he's going to bless you so much that you won't be able to have room to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. And all nations shall call you blessed. If you do what's right, they could call you blessed because I'll be blessing you for doing what's right. But you ain't been doing it, Levitical priest. Hello? For you shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. Your words have been stout against me, saith the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken so much against thee? He's saying, look, you guys have actually spoken against the things that I've told you to do. You've went up against them. And they say, well, come on. What have we said against you, God? We have said, it is vain to serve God. And what profit is it that we have kept this or- these ordinance? Oh, did you get that? Doesn't that sound familiar? Doesn't that sound familiar? That's exactly what our preachers of today are saying. What profit is in serving God? What profit is there in serving God? That's what the Levitical priests were saying. Look, all we're getting is a little bit of meat. We're getting the clothes on our back because these are the garments God told us to wear. We're we're given houses that we don't own. That we don't own. Someone else in the land, the Judeans own it. Or the Danites. Danites own it. Benjamites own it. Whatever tribe they were living in, in that particular city, that that tribe is the one that owned the house, but they didn't. They just got to dwell there. They got to live there. And they're saying, well, wait a minute. What profit is this? Everyone else has got their own inheritance. They got their... They got the deed to their property, but I can't have a deed to mine. <laughs> Sounds familiar to me. Sounds like a bunch of greedy preachers of today. Well, i got to have a bigger church. Check it out. This is exactly what they say. And that we have walked mournfully before the Lord of hosts. And now we call the proud happy. 
yea, they that work wickedness are set up, yea, they that tempt God are even delivered. He's saying, look, all these other people are getting the blessing, even the wicked are getting something better than me. That's what they're saying. Levitical priests, this is what they're saying, love you little kids, take my choice to go home. Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. A book was laid, a book of remembrance of those who actually did what was right. See, we're talking about a Levitical priest. We're talking about what was going to happen in the time of Jerusalem and Judea. We're talking about people that was leading up to Jesus. Had nothing to do with us having to give 10%. He was talking to the priest that you robbed us. You robbed me. You've been taking what wasn't supposed to be yours. All because you say, I'm not getting any profit. I've got to take my choice to go home. Oh, yeah. Preachers of today, same thing. Well, if this church ain't giving me enough money, I'm going to go look for another one. Sounds like a bunch of greedy people looking for a better, better job because they ain't got enough money at the one they got rather than thanking God for the job they got. And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. Then shall ye return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serveth God and him that serveth him not. What was part of the Levitical priest's job? To discern between right and wrong. They were supposed to be the judges in Israel. They were the ones supposed to have the biblical law, the Torah, and they were supposed to judge Israel according to God's ordinance. And he is saying, here we go. He goes back to the beginning of Malachi, and he says, you're going to return to me. I want you to return to me. Now, once again, he's tying this all together. He is not talking to the average Joe in Jerusalem. He's not talking to the Benjamites. He's not talking to the um, Gadites or the Asherites. He's talking to the Levites. He's talking to the Levitical priests this whole time. Well, preacher, can you even prove what you're saying? Absolutely. Right from the Bible. And it'll be in context because, hey, you go check all over. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You're going to find this. But we're going to give you one. But I want to take you over here to Numbers, chapter 18, verses 20 to 22. Le Numbers, chapter 18, verses 20 to 22. And let's see what God said about the Levitical priests. The Lord spake unto Aaron, Thou shalt have no inheritance in their land, neither shalt thou have any part among them. I am thy part and thine inheritance among the children of Israel. And behold, I have given the children of Levi all the tenth in Israel for an inheritance, for their service which they serve, even the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. Neither must the children of Israel henceforth come nigh the tabernacle of the congregation, lest they bear sin and die. You see what God was saying here? God was saying, right here, black and white, no way to refute it, no way around it, 
you go all through Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. You go through any of those four books. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You're going to find the very same thing is repeated over and over and over and over again. Why? Because people are so stubborn, they won't listen. And God had to make it plain back then, and we still don't get it. Why? Because we've been led into a lie, something that we've been taught for hundreds of years, and we take it as gospel rather than opening our Bibles and reading it. Here it very clearly lays out that God said to Aaron, Moses was speaking from God to Aaron, God was speaking through Moses to Aaron, saying, look, your job as the high priest, your job and your son's job, you will be the Levite tribe, will be the priests or preachers, prophets in Israel. And your job is to do the offerings of the Lord. That is your inheritance. You're not going to get any inheritance in the land of Israel except me. Just me. Can you imagine... If God right now would come down, Jesus would say, Look, I want you to give up your house, everything you own. I will then provide for you a home living with somebody as a traveling missionary, something like um, Splurgeon did and some of those old uh, Billy Sunday did and all them. They went around town to town preaching. And they stayed in whatever home would accommodate them. And, and, they, and they'd go and preach their crusades. They ate what was sat before them. They drank what was poured in the cup, and they preached the gospel. That's all they did. They weren't looking for money. They were just preaching the gospel, preaching Jesus, telling people, Jesus saves. And if you don't like it, and you get mad, get glad again. That's what they were preaching. And you know what? Those men were used of God. Hundreds and millions of people getting saved. And guess what? The Levitical priests were told basically the same thing. I'm going to take care of your clothing. I'm going to take care of your food. I'm going to take care of your shelter. You're not going to own anything. The only thing you're going to own, the only thing you're going to own, Levite, is my work, my service, serving me. That's the only thing you're going to get. <laughs> but I'll take care of you. That's what God said. They weren't too happy with it. Oh, no, they weren't too happy with it. And then they got it. Eventually, they got ritualistic about it. And remember what it did say in the beginning of Malachi 3? It said that the messenger, John the Baptist, and then Jesus, were going to come to the temple, and they were going to start cracking hard on this thing and start to straighten out some of these Levite priests. Let's take a look at Matthew chapter 23 and verse 23. Matthew 23, 23. And let's see what Jesus had to say to a pile of Pharisees. Now, of course, he would not be classified dignified by our religious establishment of today. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the waiter matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done and not to leave the other undone. Oh, now, Jesus... Now, 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 you should be nice, be kind, you wouldn't want to hurt nobody's feelings, 
You don't want to call them a bunch of hypocrites. That's what he called them. He says, look, you're all worried about giving up of your tenth. You're so worried about that that you ain't even worried about the other parts of the law. Threw away the rest of the book, all you worried about your money. Oh, welcome, my preacher. That's only one little verse. Okay. How about Luke 11 and verse 42? Luke 11, Luke chapter 11, verse 42 says, Woe unto you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs and Passover judgment and the love of God. These ought ye to have done and not to leave the other undone. Jesus said again, two places it was reiterated. Why? Because God was trying to give us a witness that this is something Jesus did say. He said, look, y'all hypocrites. Come on, you Levites. Wake up, boys. Think you're smart, but all you're doing is you're a bunch of dirty buzzards. You take all this money and you don't even care about the other people. Ooh, doggies. Well, let me tell you something. It's wrong. You need to... If you're going to do the law, you got to do all the law. It says over there in the book of James, if you keep all the law but offending but one little point, one little teeny itsy bitsy weensy point, you're guilty of all of it. So, little old Levites, you wicked dogs, and you get your wicked heart right and get it right quick. Now we go into another little unique story here of another little Pharisee, another little Levite guy, and he is so nice. Oh, we should just praise him. Him and an old tax collector. Jesus tells the story of two of them standing in the temple. Both are praying. Both are praying, all right. But we find that the little old tax collector doesn't say a very long-winded prayer. We find the Pharisee says his big, long prayer. And we find only one of them walking out of there, prepared for heaven. And let's take a look at it. It's over there in Luke 18, chapter 18, verses 10 to 14. Luke 18, verses 10 to 14. Listen to the story. This gets good. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week, and I give tithes of all that I possess, and, and the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful. Me a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the others. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Jesus said that old publican, that old tax collector, the dreg of society, no worm in that Pharisee's eyes, in the eyes of God, that publican, that tax collector, was ready. You know what the Pharisee had? I'll tell you what Pharisee had. He had a he had a he had a disease. He had an eye disorder. No, we're not talking about glaucoma or aniridia or or or, 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 or diabetic retinopathy. But he had an eye disorder called pride. 
God, I, 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 I. Well, that's what Satan did too. He had eye trouble, and Satan was given the boot out of heaven because of his eye trouble. And the Pharisee was just as wicked and wrong. So, if you got eye trouble tonight, you need to get it right. That's for sure. Get it right. Now, you notice, every one of these priests, every one of these Levites, they got into a bad habit. They were worried about money. Oh, but we can't do that, you say? We're God's chosen people. We're the church. Is that right? Is that what you believe? Well, then I hate to burst your bubble, Grandpa, but you better hold on to your hat as well. Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 to 22. Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 to 22. As we're reading this, I want you to notice some things, and I'm going to break in throughout the text, and I want you to hear what God has to say to, to a church called the Laodicean Church, which, for your information, is the church in which we are now living. And I will very much prove that to you. Listen to what it says. Revelation 3, verses 14 to 22. Now to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. That there is to prove that it's Jesus writing this. He is the beginning of the creation of God. He is the architect. He is the one who puts it together. He's the governor, government of the creation of God. He is God himself. And he's saying to this Laodicean church, I am the amen, the true and faithful witness. And listen to what he says. And I'm not talking about the witch tower people either. The, uh, the JFWs being the true and faithful witness. No, we're talking about R Jesus himself. And here's what he says to this Laodicean church, the very last church of the church age. I know they works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. He says, I know you. I know you like the back of my hand. You're neither cold. You're not on fire. You're, you're not freezing. You're not so far dead as to be dead dead but you're not on fire either i would thou art cold or hot he says i wish you were i wish you were ice cold dead so i could bury you or i wish you were on fire to keep me warm but you're not you're neither cold nor hot so then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot i will spew thee out of my mouth he says because you're not cold or hot <laughs> going to throw you right up, buddy. You make God sick. He's going to spew you right up out of his mouth. He's already going to be worshiping the porcelain God over you. You know, that's exactly what he does. He gets sick over a dead Laodicean church that's lukewarm. There's some people on the church in the church that are on fire for God while the rest are dead, colder than ice cube in the middle of the Alaskan desert. That's how cold you are. You did colder than, than that dry ice up there on the top of the polar cap of Mars. I mean, colder than carbon ice, man. You're just dead cold. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, and have need of nothing. Here's the reason you're cold, and neither, neither, the reason you're lukewarm. Louis in Church is you're neither cold nor hot as this. I'm rich. Hmm. And increased with goods now pray tell 
Where did they ever get money to be rich and increase with goods? Because they robbed somebody? Well, if they did, that was sin. But they didn't. They just blackmailed it out of people is what they did. They lied to them. You don't find any of the other churches of Asia, the first six churches of Asia, you never find once God bringing up the money issue, but all of a sudden in Laodicean church is brought up. And have you noticed? It wasn't until the last couple hundred years that tithing came about, and ever since then the church has been getting more and more money. Have you ever wondered why? Well, let me give you a little mathematical statistic here for you. If you were a pastor, and you have a congregation of only 50 people, now, that's not a very sizable congregation. Only 50. Means a building wouldn't need to be that very big. So you have a congregation of 50 people. And each one has an income. An income of $500 a month. 50 people times $500. Well... If you check that out, that comes out to, you ready for this, 25000 a month. Okay? That's what it comes out to, $25,000 a month. And then, a tenth of that is $2,500. As the church's income per month. Now, you're telling me a small church of only 50 members needs $2,500 to run. No, it don't. Because utility bills, all of them together, aren't going to run no more than 1000 That leaves 1500 What's the What are they doing? Putting it in the pastor's pocket? Well, for 50 people, that preacher, hello preacher, you should be out there getting a job. Hello, do it Paul's way. Get you a job. Quit stealing the money from God's people. You don't need their money. Get you a job, you dirty bum. You're telling me you can't visit 50 people at least once a month? I think there's something wrong with you. What it is, you're greedy. You want to get the biggest build. The fanciest pews. Make sure the padded pews. And with the matching Bibles. And then you got to make sure that you preach it just right. Excuse me. That ain't preaching either. If you ain't preaching the truth, you can go, ha, all you want, because you're trying to think of what next to say. All you want. But it ain't getting you in. Here's what my Bible teaches. It says they were rich and increased with goods. What they kept doing is making up their little savings account. Hello, the last I checked, a church is supposed to be a non-profit organization. That means you shouldn't have any money left over each month. You know what the rest of that money should have been going for? The poor. But you know what, you dirty dog, you never did? You never took, and you never, ever, ever took and took that money and used it for the poor. You put it in your own pockets, you dirty bum. You dirty rotten rascal. Amen. Someone's got the guts to preach it. You want to get mad? Well, get glad again. Hey, like I said, I'm testing your faith here. Can you make it to the end?
<laughs> without touching the stop button. Probably ain't. You probably already cut it off by now. But he said they're rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Have not one need. Why? Because they don't have no needs because, oh, well, we got we got $80,000 in the bank and four credit cards in the church's name. And yes, we even paid off the church note. Well, that's because you've been robbing from the people. How you been robbing from them? Telling them that they're robbing God? You shoving that in their face? That's exactly what you're doing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. God's assessment of their condition is different from their own. Every layout of seeing church that you hear, you notice that they're rich and increased with goods. They say they have need of nothing. And guess what happens? They turn around. God says, wait a minute, boys. You're poor, you're blind, you're naked. You ain't got nothing. Meaning, spiritually, you're poor. Spiritually, you're poor because you ain't got the riches of Christ in your heart. You're blind because you don't have the spiritual sight to see what the Bible is really saying. And you're naked because your sin is exposed and you haven't done a single thing to get Jesus into your heart. Hello? Read it and weep, boys. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. Get your gold from Jesus. Get your riches from the eternal bank. Quit worrying about what's in that offering bucket. Get it from Jesus, and you'll be rich. Put away that worrying about all that ritzy having to have special robes and oh you ladies got to have certain kind of dresses and the biggest hats and you men has got to have the eighty thousand dollar one sleeve suit you don't need that you don't need a pair of shoes that cost you four million per shoe hey my pair of tennis shoes that only cost me ten bucks could go out there and win souls just as good as your eighty thousand dollar pair of shoes hello you don't need all that. You're rich and increased good, had need of nothing. God says you're poor, you're blind. And he said, look, now get your riches from me. Get your raiment that you could be clothed in something good. Forget them robes and all that. Anoint your eyes with the spiritual eye salve that you can see something worth seeing. That we can see the truth of God's word. And that's what we're trying to do here, give you some eye salve. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. He had counseled them in the previous verses, but all of a sudden... Now he's saying, I have to rebuke and chasten your butt. You know why? Because they didn't repent. They didn't get saved. They didn't get right. Between the last verse and this one, they didn't even do it because they were too deaf to hear it. They didn't want to hear God. They're so deaf. They didn't want to hear Him. So he has to chasten their rear, rear end. He has to take them to the spiritual woodshed. Be zealous and repent. Why don't you get zealous about the good thing and repent? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door... I will come in to him, and will sup with him, and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame, and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear, what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Now you see churches, what it's saying to you? Preachers, what it's saying to you? You don't need all that money. You could do it without it. That's not God's way. Money is not the way to go. God said you can't serve but two you can't serve two masters. You're gonna love one or hate the other, you're gonna serve one and not the other. You can't serve God and money. Can't do it. Can't do it. Can't do it. Go read your Bible. You can't do it. You can't serve two. 
Jesus said here, that you're going to love one or you're going to love the other, but you can't have both. You can't have both. Did you also know in the Bible, the disciples came to Jesus. It was tax time. It was tax time. And you hear this coming from all the tithers. Uh, let me tell you this one too. They take and they say, well, you got to give your tithe even if you owe your rent. Don't worry about your rent. God will provide for it. Uh, that was to the Levitical priest anyway, boys, as we've already studied. But here's what they say to you. You better pay it. Don't worry about your bills. Now, wait a minute. You notice what Jesus said? Disciples came. It was tax time. And they were supposed to give tribute or tax money. And they came to Jesus and said, Jesus? <laughs> they had the same attitude back then. Hey, should we give money? Do we need to give this money? Do we have to pay our taxes or because we're Christians, can we skip it? Can we skip it, Jesus? Can we just get away with it? I don't want to pay taxes. Who does? <laughs> Who does? Who likes to pay taxes? So he says, show me the money. Let me see the money. I want to see the tax money. They pull out a penny. And he says, now, on this money, whose face and image is this? They said, it's Caesar's. He said, here, now take Caesar's ugly face and give it to Caesar's ugly face. But you come back here and give God what is God's. What was he trying to say? You're trying to say the same thing that's happened in the Laodicean church. He was trying to say. He was trying to say that, look, there's a big difference between money and spirituality. A big, huge difference. And that big difference is, Jesus said, Jesus said, you give to him his part, which is your worship, while you give Caesar, you give the government his money. Meaning, go pay your bills first, worry about your bills, then worry about your wallet. That's what God's method is. God's method is different than man's. Remember, his understanding is far above ours. Now, what else do we got in the Bible? What else in the Bible can we learn about this subject? Well, let's see what God's method of giving is. Well, we already know one thing. We know one thing, that it's not like ours and what we're taught in the churches. Let's take a look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. Matthew 6, verses 1 to 4. Heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Very, I say unto you, they have their reward. When thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy Father, which seeth in secret himself, shall reward thee openly. This is a type of giving. It's not tithing. This is not tithing that Jesus is speaking of. This here, he's speaking of a gift to somebody who's poor, like a blind person, thus the term blind beggar that's been used for many years, and that's why a lot of blind people have a tough time getting over that stigma. That's the word handicapped. That's how they came up with that. Cap in hand, referring to blind beggars. But the whole point that I'm making is, the Bible says here, that if you give your gift to a poor person or something, when you're giving, even your alms or whatever it is, when you're giving, you give in secret so that your right hand doesn't know what your left hand's doing. Now, let me ask you a question. When you tithe, have you ever noticed some 
things that are totally against that very verse, or verses, I should say. What are they, preacher? Well, let me help you here. First off, how they go about taking up the offering. They have some people, deacons or whatever. They grab their basket or their tray or that nice, beautiful offering plate, whichever. They carry it down the aisle and they stuff it under your face, right? Now, is that guy looking away? No, it's his job to make sure that nobody tries to steal something out of the basket. So they're watching who's putting what's in it. So first off, I don't find nowhere in the New Testament anywhere where they used a basket 